0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe.
1: Hey Jonathan, how's it going?
0: It's going well. Uh, Labor Day week this week, so yeah, had a little time off. So I, I know that's always good, but um, Irma staring right at everybody right now. And, uh, after oh my the, goodness. After what we went through with Harvey here in the U.S. Uh, just a week or two ago, now, with Irma bearing down on the South Florida area and just about to come up into the mainland of the u s uh people are worried
1: oh it's it's unbelievable and and it's just the the um suspense on this one has really built over the week as everyone watches Irma, and you're almost just you you sort of had this relief when Harvey kind of made its way out, and you people didn't even get a chance to catch their breath before. You know, before we're, we're getting ready for another one.
0: Yeah, and speaking of Irma, we, we tweeted about this earlier in the week. Jonathan Falwell, pastor at Thomas Road Baptist Church, Lynchburg, Virginia, was in St. Martin on a 25th anniversary trip with his wife, and they were stranded in St. Martin along with uh, thousands, I'm guessing, of their tourists and couldn't get out and had to basically hunker down and wait while right. Irma blew over the island. And the pictures from Jonathan Falwell's Twitter account, you need to go find those. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes, but uh, wow.
1: Oh, they were unbelievable. And, um, it, it just, the devastation was just tremendous. And one of the pictures he showed was of the shelter they had been hunkered down in and had been sort of ushered out of that right before, uh, the, the major destruction had happened because it was going to bear down. It, It was, it was just incredible.
0: Yeah. So go check those out. Uh, Please be in prayer for Jonathan Falwell and his wife. I know that that's probably a, obviously an extremely stressful event. Not sure if they're back yet or not. I know they were trying to work on that, but I mean, they got to wait on the, the airport and everything to get reopened in St. Martin and, And get things going so they can get out. So yeah, we're thankful that the Falwells are okay and made it through that. Hopefully they will be home soon if they're not already back. But uh, before we jump into the news, let's uh, thank our sponsor, Amy. This week's episode, once again, sponsored by the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Whether you are preparing to revitalize churches or plant in North America or to take the gospel to places where Christ is not yet known, the Billy Graham School is committed to training the next generation of Great Commission leaders, Learn more about the Billy Graham School's MDiv, DMIN, or other degree programs today by visiting sbts.edu slash bgs. Again, that's sbts.edu slash bgs. All right, Amy, we, we talked about disaster relief. Kevin Zell was at the White House last week being honored along with leaders of the Red Cross and the Salvation Army for NAMS disaster relief efforts. I, I know the, the guys at send Relief, I mean, This they got a lot going right now. I mean, this is a... Busy, busy season for them. But uh, congratulations to Dr. and be recognized by the White House.
1: Yeah. And um, and I think it was even more than just uh, they they were honored, but also I think they actually had about a 25-minute meeting to just discuss the relief efforts. Because in a sense, when you take uh, FEMA, which is our federal government's um, emergency management organization, and Red Cross and uh, Send Relief and the Salvation Army, I mean, those are kind of the four big organizations to help in these situations. And so uh, they had a sort of a a meeting, which I assume was dealing with some work and working together. And then the press was invited in. So that's where all of a sudden, you know, you you start to see on Twitter all these screenshots of people say, you know, tagging Kevin Ezel. Um, in the in the picture there, so there's a we we've got the Baptist Press story in the show notes, but it really just highlights the the work that Send Relief is doing. Um, I, I was texting with uh, Leah Finn, who is the uh, wife of Nathan Finn, whose father uh, years ago ran our disaster relief um, arm of Nam and uh, she commented that the time that she thinks about her dad the most is in hurricane season just because this was such an such a major time for them so she just kind of remembers you know all of that but um but this is where we are and we had a a, a fall break mission trip scheduled i can't remember where it was supposed to go maybe Clarkston Georgia and they scrapped that to make plans to take our students to Houston. Well, now we've actually gotten word to just hold because um, Send Relief doesn't know for sure if they're going to need to send people to Houston or to Florida. So they've got a tremendous um, job in front of them, both in the aftermath of Harvey and in what's about to come with Irma.
0: They do, and we just want to remind everybody to be in prayer for those in the way of Irma, as she is uh, making landfall today when we release this, as well as for those who will be going in. Like you said, there will be disaster relief people uh, from all over the country, not just from Florida the southern states. They'll be heading in from all over the country. Uh, We have a trustee at Lifeway who is based in Michigan, and she is on the disaster relief team, missed our trustee meeting Uh, a couple weeks ago because she was being staged and being sent out for Hurricane Harvey relief. So, I mean, we've got people from all over the country, Southern Baptists from all over uh, the U.S. that are going down to Texas and probably now headed down to Florida, to Georgia, South Georgia, that area, to help with the relief efforts uh, following Harvey and Irma. Also last Friday, a National Day of Prayer was ordered uh, for this past Sunday. Uh, That's already gone, come and gone, but uh, we did want to point that out and uh, that was kind of neat to see from the president uh, ordering a national day of prayer to re- to pray for uh, Hurricane Harvey relief efforts.
1: Yeah, and we've seen this uh, from time to time—a day of prayer uh, declared by presidents throughout history. Uh, but I think this is a very natural uh, expectation that in in the wake of something like this, uh, that our leader would call for that.
0: Yes, and our church participated in that as well. I know a lot of Southern Baptist churches uh, participated in that National Day of Prayer. Uh, even even though my, my service was on Saturday night, because I go to Saturday night service, we still participated for, with the, the prayer for the relief efforts. Right. I think our church is actually even doing a, uh, a special offering this week for Relief. That's going straight to Sin Relief.
1: Yeah, we did uh, the same thing. We took up an offering here at Southeastern, actually.
0: Yeah. So if your church is interested in that, you can do an offering and just send it straight to Sin Relief. Uh, the Nam website, Sin Relief website, can help you out uh, with how to send that in and where to go with that. So speaking of sending in money, Amy, National CP four point two percent over the year to date projection.
1: Yeah, four point two percent over, and now we're we're coming on the end yeah. here, right? One month
0: left. So yes. it looks like we're going to be over budget probably right around the same contribution level last year. So right around that $195 million mark we're, we're just over 180 million right now. We're getting about $15 million a month in CP at this point. So we're 0.77% above contributions received during the same 11 months last year. So it looks you know we'll be right around 195 196 more than likely based on the previous year's budget and right. and, and how the the money has come in.
1: Well, I I'll, I'll be really interested to see um, it's good you know closing a year out is always just nice because you can reflect on you know everything you can kind of see the totality we've been trying to track it as we go um but we're not we're not far from getting to really look at that big picture
0: so it, it also is something we we need to think about the one hundred and eighty nine million dollar budget this year uh, is being increased to one hundred and ninety two million dollars next year so uh, based on the giving from last year and this year where we're hitting at that 195, next year we, we look to be, you know, right on pace with budget giving for the CP for 2018 as well. Uh, well that'll start, uh, you know, at the beginning of October. So September – Receipts are still coming in, so we'll have to keep an eye on that and see how we finish the budget year, Amy. But it looks pretty good. Excellent. That's going to do it for us this week. Not too many big stories for us to cover. A lot of it dealing with the Hurricane Harvey relief efforts and the approaching Hurricane Irma. So we'll have more on Irma uh, next week on the show. But this week, Amy, we've got a delightful interview uh, with Jen Wilkin that we were able to record at the ERLC National Conference.
1: I loved that conversation. That was just a great uh, opportunity. She really brought it at that conference as well.
0: Yes, and, and those videos are now online from the ERLC you National should, Conference.
1: Let's let's post the video of her main talk in okay. the show notes. Sounds as well. Okay, will good. I'll Cause that a do that. that of a lot of yeah, that got a lot of a that a of uh, chatter, I
0: think. All right, so here is Jen Wilkin. Joining us this week on SBC This Week is Jen Wilkins. She's an author and Bible teacher from Dallas, Texas. She's organized and led studies for women in home, church, and parachurch context, and she and her family call the Village Church Home. She currently serves on the team at the Village Church Institute with direct responsibility for adult classes at all campuses. Uh, Jen and her husband, Jeff, have four children and have been married for over 20 years, Jen, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: Now, we're here recording at the RLC National Conference. Uh, you're here as a, a panelist and a speaker. Yeah. Tell us kind of what uh, the topics you'll be covering today as we talk about parenting.
2: I'm going to do a talk on raising an alien child, um, playing on the idea of that we are to be aliens and strangers in in this world and what does that look like for our children. And one of the things I like to sort of press parents on is this idea of that we, we all have a pretty strong compulsion to just fit in. And so if we were really going to raise children who know love and serve God with all of their hearts we would be expecting to raise children who stick out in a crowd and so they therefore need to be comfortable with the dissonance that's created when you don't do what everybody else is doing that that's a really interesting topic how has this
1: sort of played out in your own your own home as your i don't I don't want to get too much of a preview of what you're about
2: to say but by the time our <laughs> listeners hear this It'll already be be history, right? So it's, it's not going to get out of the back. Well, I know there's a saying that all theology is autobiography. I would say that most of parenting is too, right? And so in our case, we had um, four children in four years and we really feel like for us, it crystallized some things that maybe take a, parent who has children you know two children uh, six years apart it crystallized some of the crisis points for us a little yeah. faster yes. around some issues uh, and and we had to hit the ground running and have some some structures in place that were going to help us just as a family navigate how to get four children to adulthood uh, and make sure that everyone uh, in the family as a whole was was served. So, uh, for example, activities, when you have four children that close in age and, and you don't have an unlimited budget, you have to make some choices around what they're going to be involved in. And I think for a lot of parents, they, it's like the frog in the pot of water that starts to boil. They keep adding and adding and adding and don't realize that things have gotten out of control. And in our case, because there were so many kids, it was pretty easy to feel the lack of control hitting faster. Sure. So, um, what I try to do is I don't. I don't want to tell parents what they should do. I want to tell them what we did and then they can take what they can use and leave the rest behind. And in our case, it was a pretty clear decision that we were going to have to significantly limit their activities outside the home. But then we also had, you know, some other just underlying principles that made that a good decision as well. Fantastic. Okay, so this is this
1: is a conference on parenting, so that's a lot of uh, the discussion that is happening here. Uh, but you have some other things that you do as well. Tell us about what you do at a Village Church, particularly the Village Institute.
2: So the Village Institute is, it's two years old at the Village. It has a name that sounds like it's 500 years old, but it's really just two years old. Um, and what we have done is built out a venue for theological, for seminary level instruction in the local church. And that's actually not the part that I'm a part of. I'm actually doing classes for everybody who is, I'm kind of retrofitting Sunday school a little bit in a church that because of various um, demands on our facilities and our schedule, we're probably never going to be able to accommodate a Sunday school model even if we wanted to. But I'm creating learning environments for um, just the everyday person who's like, I need to know the Bible better. But then the institute also has a training program that runs 32 weeks of the year and it gives a seminary you can do it for seminary credit or you can just do it as a lay person in fact my husband's going through it this year so it's been fun to hear him carry home what the lecture was about and they um they do biblical theology they do systematic theology um it's it's great. I mean when we started it because my hands weren't in that a whole lot, I was like, okay, whatever, go teach theology. I got my hands full with all these other people. And then over time, I began to realize this is this is the best. Like as a woman in the church who has always wanted to have access to a seminary class and never had the time or the money to do it, For women in particular, this training program blows the doors off of all of the obstacles that are typically in place for a woman who wants to receive this level of instruction. It's low cost. We watch your children. It's a regular schedule that's predictable. And we honor your time while you're there. That's like the mojo that women are looking for when they're going to commit to anything. I mean, men as well. But I think for women who are typically primary caregivers, this is like, you know, fantastic.
0: Now, what's the response been from women at the village?
2: Yeah, we've had a ton. I couldn't tell you exactly how what the ratio is between men and women. But every year we fill enrollment before we think we will. And we have a waiting list and we have to tell them come back next year because they're intentionally keeping it to a size that's manageable. But I'm like, hey, if you didn't get in, come on over to the Bible class.
1: <laughs> All right. So you've written uh, a couple of books and it Kind of the focus, so uh, Women of the Word was one, mm-hmm. is that correct? And the other one, Ramon me, n- none, like, none him. like him. I mm-hmm. knew I was getting close. Um, so it seems like a lot of your focus as well when you write for women or when you are, are talking to them really is about why they need to be in the Word themselves, why women actually need to kind of know and grow in their theological understanding. How has that developed uh, for
2: you? Kind of where, how did you get where you are yeah. on that? Um, Before I was at the Village, I was in a a really great Southern Baptist Church in Houston and fairly large, and I was the women's ministry director. And one of my responsibilities was to vet curriculum for anywhere between 12 and 14 women's classes that were happening any given semester. And uh, during that time, my heart began to break for what women were being offered and told, hey, this is a Bible study, and it really bore very little resemblance to, you know, the Bible might be mentioned in passing or attached to the topic that they thought was the most um, uh, hot button at that point. Uh, And and, and these women were faithfully coming every week because we had given them a place to meet and a a schedule, and they were going to see their friends. Uh, But, you know, they'd been in Bible study for years, or what we call Bible study, and they didn't know their Bibles. So uh, I began to write my own stuff, mainly because I just couldn't find anything that was due. It wasn't that there wasn't anything out there, but if I was going to teach it, I just wanted the whole thing to fit together the way that I wanted it to. So I started writing my own stuff just for the sake of saying, hey, what if if you had some basic tools to help you feel more confident in opening the scriptures uh, on your own, and so that when you come and sit under teaching, you've spent time in the text prior to hearing the teaching. And that's, that's a big missing piece right now in the, in the modern church is most of us come and sit under teaching every week or multiple times during a week over passages of scripture that we haven't spent time in ourselves. Another, another
1: thing that we talk about sometimes on uh, the podcast and uh, have, uh, there's been some events, uh, Southeastern has done an event uh, at the SBC with NAM on this is uh, developing women for leadership. It's not something we talk about um, a whole lot, but uh, the truth is, and Kathy Litton, uh, who's at Nam, has said this before, that women are going to have influence. And right. the question is, how do you develop that? You know, what is your influence going to be? What are your thoughts on that? How have you done that uh, at the Village Institute to just help
2: help develop women to be leaders where they are? So the real issue, I think, in, in the church tends to not be that that women's influence is not wanted, but women with formal influence is where we have a have a hard time, right? And um and what I often hear from from pastors is, well, I mean, we have women speaking into the process. So, you know, it's cool. We're good. We're doing really well on this. And it's like, no, if she doesn't have formal channels of input and formal channels of influence, she's always going to be disadvantaged in the conversation. So, um, and it's not to say, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, how can we keep the woman down? I don't see that at all. These are really great people. And uh, so, When we think about women in leadership in the church, the the first obstacle to overcome is the stereotype that the woman is wanting to take something that is not hers. Um, We need to learn to look at a woman who has leadership skills and ask, why did the Lord give her these skills and how can we deploy them to the benefit of the local church just as we would? So like the example that I give is like if a if a. 22-year-old guy showed up on the doorstep of your church and said, Hey, I don't need you to pay me. I just want to do whatever there is to do around here. What I've seen in my experience in ministry is that within five years, he'll be on staff and they'll be pushing him toward attending seminary. But if a 22-year-old woman shows up on the doorstep of the church and says the same thing, that's probably not going to happen because there are no avenues for women to move forward in leadership in the church because there's, I think there's just an underlying fear that if we do that, that's a slippery slope and next thing you know, it's going to be women pastors and uh, that's just not the case. So, so
0: how do we set up those avenues well, in the local church?
2: It requires, a, a, it requires a, a more fearless approach from the men who are in positions of, Authority from men who have formal authority, it means that when they're thinking, Who am I going to mentor and equip for ministry? it can't just be the men and so that means and obviously that's not a simple fix, right It's not as though he's going to mentor some twenty two year old woman and they're going to go. You know, on a retreat, and you know, talk about all the stuff. That, that doesn't was, end that's well. That's not a scenario that we're yeah. throwing out there. But, but um, what I find is that there are ways that you can um, grant access to women and help them be mentored and coached that are completely appropriate that no one would bat an eye at. But because we have been so conditioned to think, oh, you know what? That's how Pastor So and So lost his ministry. Um, we're not willing to. We have a. We have more of a fear of the the terrible story than we. We fear the lack of male-female partnerships for the kingdom. And I think that's a misplaced fear. I think we should not be fearing the, the positive vision. Adultery is a thing that happens, right? But but it shouldn't be so heightened in our fears that we prohibit people who are qualified and essential and indispensable to the, to the mission of the church from ever having trajectories to serve.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Jen. We appreciate you taking the time and uh, all the best uh, as you speak here at the UROC National Conference and in the future.
1: Thank you. All right. Um, and uh, thanks again to Jen Welkin for that conversation. It really, really was a delight. And uh, it, it's, it was fun to be in town uh, to be able to do some of those interviews together.
0: Yes, it was. And and like you said, Jen, I mean, I had never met her before. And right. Uh, We had time to to talk with her during the interview and after and before and just just a delightful lady and a real benefit to Southern Baptists and uh, to the Village Church over there in Texas. They're doing great things uh, with uh, theological training in the local church out at the Village Church in Dallas. Excellent. All right. That's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds.
1: All right. We're going to go not too far back. We're going to go to 1991 to a story in Baptist Press that was written by Art Tolston. So, I'd like to point that out. That Shout
0: out account. to Art.
1: Yes. So, I wonder if he will even uh, remember uh, covering this story because I guess what's that? Math, math is hard for me. I've got to subtract. 26 on the years That's ago. 26 years ago. Okay. I couldn't remember. Couldn't, I'm sure he remembers every
0: word he's ever written.
1: I bet he does. Because he's, he's that kind of he's guy. He's that
0: kind of guy. He's that good. Yes.
1: Uh, anyway, this is in 1991 and it was something very interesting that was happening on the heels of. Um, the upheaval in the Soviet Union. So, uh, for uh, those of you, I don't know how old you were when that uh, happened. Jonathan I was eleven. Was okay. Well, I was in high school, um, and I was taking world history at the time. I think actually, so uh, it, it was it was something we talked about a lot. You know, communism is crashing. Everything is changing. So the IMB did something that was really interesting, and I've not ever heard of this. Um, so they, they had adopted something at a previous meeting, these procedures called green alert procedures that were put in place specifically for uh, right. moments like this, for key world events. And it opened the door for... Um, the trustee officers and the sort of leaders of the IMB, the the as it says the top administrators, to identify something that they would call a green alert, and it would sort of break down all of the uh, normal red tape to be able to do something. And they, uh, it, it was released this week in this Baptist Press story that they determined that the situation in the Soviet Union. Um, merited a green alert. So it was, um, I, I think from what I can see, it was the first, I mean, it was the first time they used it. I have tried to look, um, to see if they've ever used it again and, um, haven't, haven't tracked that yet, but I'll keep, you know, keep looking. So basically what the green alert would say is that they could cut through normal procedures and um, it says embark on a rapid decision-making process involving money and personnel. So um, it says they, if they go through the normal process, they can't make funds or personnel available because of budgeting. So it's kind of hitting on the budgeting process. So what they realized um, was that there was so much upheaval There would be food shortages, um, which we know happened, you know, economic, a lot of economic problems. And then even even potentially some uh, not knowing what was coming next, if there would be people coming in that would close things down, that because they didn't know where this was all going, just like everyone else um, in the world, they wanted the ability to react quickly. Now, this, uh, as I'm just pulling up, this is the first time I knew about this story. So what what I would be intrigued to know this is when Keith Parks was the president of the International Mission Board, but I would be intrigued to know exactly how when they sort of started this um, uh, the the rapid rapid response in the Green Alert uh, procedures is is what that began what that actually looked like in the days after the collapse of the Soviet Union once they put this in place. Now the story talks about that they have dealt with crisis situations before like, uh, Persian Gulf war, um, the Berlin wall, things like this. So they did some things, but this green alert process had been put in place to say, we're going to actually have a rapid response plan or have some, uh, things in place where we can execute this quickly. So, uh, I, I found this really fascinating. I was looking around for a lot of different stories. And when I hit on this one, I mean, you, you know, some of my interests, uh, and, and it, it caught my eye very quickly. And so what they hoped, um, it says at the end of the story, uh, whether the Soviet union becomes a loose knit federation or splinters into independent republics, which it's interesting to read that 26 years later. Um, now that we know,
0: yeah, yeah if,
1: um, yeah, but, uh, Park said the board will help Baptists there plant churches that will have a stake in the future of Christianity in the land. And we know that that's uh, also um, uh, important uh, I know of, of work that's done in the Ukraine and in other places and so um, so it's just very interesting that we look back on world history on world events within the last 30 years that's a tremendous one that everyone, um, globally would would say uh, was the collapse of the Soviet Union, but it was also something very important for consideration when we went on Green Alert this week in SBC history. Very cool. And shout out to art.
0: Yeah, Shout out to art. Yes, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago that we wonder whenever it will finally happen where something that we covered on our podcast will be the this week in SBC history uh, in the future. Uh, when, when what the first story that we covered on the podcast will be. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's neat to see those things because, you know, we talked about the, the the volcano from a couple of weeks ago that you talked about. Right. That, or things that happened in the 70s and 60s and 50s that neither of us uh, a lot of times were alive for. So it's, it's neat to hear stories like this and see the Baptist involvement uh, for stories that you and I grew up seeing.
1: Yeah. And uh, so one day people will be talking about what Houston did when Hurricane Harvey hit yes, and about the disaster relief workers and and things like that. Just things that, as you said, that we've covered. uh, We'll be talking about that in years to come.
0: Yeah, and I've got a a New York Times article speaking of Harvey and Hurricane Irma. I
1: wanted to know if we would talk about that because I saw this too.
0: This is really, really neat. I just saw this this morning. Harvey and Irma married 75 years. Marvel at the storms bearing their names. Uh, They've been married for 75 years. Harvey is 104 and his wife, Irma Schluter, is 93 in November. So, they're named after the storms. Uh, it's a neat little article in the New York Times. They live out in Spokane, Washington. Go check out that article. i put it in the, the link in it the end show. It was
1: great. I loved it. Um, they seemed just so delightful. And I'm sure they are having a lot of fun with this. Um, but... It was also an interesting article about the naming of hurricanes, and I learned some details that I didn't know about how they're kind of on a rotation, and then when one is really massive, which um, I guess this was supposed to be in the normal rotation, it would have been Irene, uh, which is, that's my grandmom's name, and uh, we always talked about that when Hurricane Irene hit, but when one is so big that it's kind of in the history, in, in weather history, they retire it. And so, um, that, that one had, had been retired because it was such a a big one that, uh, Irma stepped in its place. And now here, here we are with an actual Harvey and Irma out there. I love that.
0: The naming conventions of hurricanes is something that I think I learned early on just because of my South Louisiana upbringing. So, um, we, we watched hurricanes. I've got special apps on my phones that track hurricanes, uh, just because of, that's what you did whenever you were a kid. So,
1: well, that's like for me, I was in tornado country as a kid. So, right there where you are now in Tennessee. And so, hurricanes were always something we would watch on the news. Um, but we knew how to get in place for a tornado.
0: Yeah. That's something that thankfully I haven't had to deal too much with. It's, you know, once or twice a year uh, here in Tennessee, but it hadn't been terrible since I've moved here. So, we did have that when I was in Alabama, though. Wow. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to move us on to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is the new book from Dr. Jason Allen, Portraits of a Pastor. It's an edited work uh, that he's got a, a lot of great contributors in. And uh, Dr. Rainer wrote the forward to that. So really neat little book talking about just uh, different components of what it takes to be a pastor. Uh, really, really good book uh, from Dr. Allen. So check that yeah, I think,
1: out. Yeah, I think Dr. Aiken contributed yeah. a chapter to mm-hmm. that as well.
0: Yeah, there are several names that our listeners will recognize. Ronnie Floyd, Jason Ducing, Christian George, Danny Aiken, Owen Strand, Don Whitney, Jared Wilson, and John Mark Yates. So uh, a strong contingent of Midwestern contributors. Uh, but uh, The Portraits of the Pastor, I-, I have to pick up a copy. Oh, actually, I did get a copy of that. Uh, we got a copy of that in the office. So uh, it's it's a, it's a great little book. And uh, check that out uh, from Dr. Jason Allen.
1: Excellent. Well, my resource is the CSB Reader's Bible. So, uh, the CSB's been out for a little bit and, and now some versions are, are continuing to trickle out. This is a version though that I, I really enjoy this sort of style and delivery where the verse and chapter references are removed. Um, and I have some Reader's Bibles and some other translations, um, and, and it just gives for a different reading experience because you're just kind of coming into it, uh, really approaching it as a story. You don't have these sort of dividers in your mind. Okay, I'm going to stop here. You just, you just read and follow the narrative. Um, so it's just a, a reading experience that's uh, very unique. And I, I've been, uh, I've been glad that this has come out in recent years. And so CSB, um, is contributing that uh, to the mix, and uh, there are some good, uh, so, some good. Uh, sorry, there's some really beautiful uh, versions of it. There's one that's like a gray cloth, yep. and, and and just the really, poppy. really nice. Yes, yeah. Yes. The,
0: if you like the uh, the poppy, she reads truth Bible, you'll love the poppy CSB Reader's Bible. So they yes. both look fantastic. So. The gray one. Uh, really just well done. I was looking through it the other day in the office. They've got the uh, the Smithstone binding, so you lay it down right. no matter where you are, and it lays down flat. Lays uh, flat. Just a great, great Bible. Feels good in your hand. It's good weight, good size, not too big. Yep. Uh, it just it, It's a beautifully designed Bible.
1: I'm excited. I'm looking forward to grabbing my copy of the Reader's Bible.
0: All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. This no, w-
1: no, no, it's not. Jonathan, you missed a really important news story this week.
0: I don't, I don't think I did. You did. What did I miss, Amy?
1: Liberty beat Baylor. Oh,
0: yes. Well, you know, we, we don't really cover sports that much here on the podcast. Be- but Liberty is not never- a Southern Baptist school, and neither is Baylor, so in SBC this week.
1: Yeah, but we cover those schools sometimes every now and then, and it, we don't have— um, we don't have sports on here because there's not often a lot of sports to cover. And I think our listeners need to hear some football.
0: Wow. This is the role reversal that people probably did not expect.
1: I, I, I like sports.
0: I know. All right. Well, so Liberty went into Baylor last week and yes. uh, pulled off quite an upset. Not the biggest upset of the weekend because Howard University went out and whooped up on UNLV. Uh, so that would that would have been the the biggest upset of the week, but but Liberty over Baylor, wow, what a big one! And uh, Liberty, uh, coached by Turner Gill, a former Nebraskan, and uh, it just just amazing win for them. I mean that that just came out of nowhere. Nobody was expecting that, and uh, had a huge huge win yeah. on the road at Baylor. Baylor in uh, a bit of shambles right now.
1: Well, I just, I thought I would, I knew that I would catch you by the surprise at the end there, but I had to call you out for that and just say we needed to at least give it a mention, um, and I, I know everyone's headed into this weekend looking for uh, their games that they want to follow, but that one was certainly a surprise and is a little bit of interest.
0: Thanks to our sponsor, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the Billy Graham School up there. Find out more about everything that's going on at Southern at the SBT at sbts.edu slash bgs. Uh, we're going to get Dr. Moeller on in a couple of weeks. We're going to have an interview with him. Uh, we got interviews coming up. Uh, we've got Jeff Dodge coming up next week. And then we have uh, an interview with Dr. Moeller that we're going to run, or that we're going to do uh, while he's here for executive committee. And also, we've got Taffy Hall coming up. Uh, from the Southern yes. Baptist Historical Library and Archives.
1: Yes, that's going to be exciting, and I'll get to be around for that interview, and I'm looking
0: forward to it. Yeah, and keep an eye on Facebook. If you don't follow us on Facebook, go find the page SBC This Week. You can find out the link from uh, SBCThisWeek.com, but follow us on Facebook because we'll be doing a live tour of the Southern Baptist Library and Archives, and Taffy's going to show us some uh, some neat stuff around the building as well that they've got over there at the Executive Committee Building. So if you've never been. Follow us, check that out. We've also got a, a quick little tour we did with Art Sneed over at Ridgecrest while we were over there. While I was over there uh, for a trustee meeting a couple weeks ago, a really neat little quick tour of all the new things at Ridgecrest. So, uh, so be sure to follow us on Facebook, on Twitter at SBC This Week, and uh, you know, subscribe, review the podcast, rate it, and everything on iTunes, Google Play, and all of the other podcast outlets. So keep safe from Hurricane Irma. Those who are in her path and uh, we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.